Hey there listeners, welcome to Mastermind FM. I'm Mark from WP RSS Aggregator and WP Mayor. And this week I'm joined by a very special guest. He's a customer service and customer experience expert. He's a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. And he's been inducted into the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame for a lifetime achievement in the speaking profession. And he has one of the best titles I've ever heard for a company, which is the Chief Amazement Officer for Shepard Presentations. Everyone, welcome Shep Hyken. Shep, thank you for joining us on this episode. Great to be here. Thanks, Mark. So Shep, I came across your work for the first time on a Facebook live stream hosted by HelpScout CEO Nick Francis. Yes. And it eventually led me to actually write a post about on WP Mayor about how we made support a priority in our team and basically the benefits and challenges that came with that. Uh, however, I don't know much about your background just yet. So can you tell us a bit about how you got started in customer service? Oh, wow. Boy, we go all the way back to when I was 12 years old, ran my first little business. It was a birthday party magic show business. And my parents said, uh, write thank you notes, pick up the phone, call the customers who hire you to do the birthday parties, thank them again, make sure they were happy, find out which tricks they liked the best and the ones they weren't talking about take those out and replace them with something better, which is kind of a cool way of getting feedback and process improvement. And little did I know at age 12, I was being taught about customer service. And it's kind of in my nature to want to be a pleaser anyway. I remember having some other jobs like, you know, I worked at a gas station that was a self-serve gas station. It was a very cold day. A lady pulls up, an elderly woman, and she got out of the car and I ran out and said, ma'am, stay in the car. Let me pump your gas. I thought that was a nice thing to do for a very cold day for an elderly woman. My manager said, why did you do that? Now she'll expect that the next time she comes back. And I said, great, she'll come back. That's the key. There's three other gas stations, on one on each corner, four in, on four corners. I want her to come to my station every time. And uh, that was just my belief that customer service is important. I had no idea it was really called customer service back then. And then when I got out of college and uh, started looking for what I wanted to do in life, I saw a couple of motivational speakers. I said, I can do a speech, but I need a topic. What am I going to write about and speak about? And it turned out to be customer service. And that was 30 plus years ago. I know I look a lot younger than that, but uh, (laughs) never look back. It's been great. Awesome. So have you actually had jobs specifically as a customer support engineer or anything like that or was it no you know my experiences all of my experience in uh is was in hospitality and retail and that was very frontline customer service oriented now you know you mentioned nick francis and and that particular event that i attended where he and i eventually did did the uh, program together there was a lot of information there that isn't your typical frontline oriented customer service. I believe we talked about data analytics and chat bots and things like that. So over the years, that's just been all the research, the different companies I've worked for. Uh, Every time I go to work for a company, regardless of the type of company they're in, they could be a support center. They could be, um, you know, where everybody who I'm talking to manages and leads, you know, customer support centers, or I could be talking to a group of retailers or somebody in the IT industry. But every job that I am hired to go speak at or consult with, I learn a tremendous amount. So basically, you've you've learned on the job throughout your whole life. Yeah, I mean, more or less. uh, You know, I knew what was right and wrong when I first started, and it just evolved from there. All right. So actually, since you brought up that sort of your parents guided you to treating people this way, it was something I was going to ask you later on, but I can bring up now. So I have this belief that 
a good customer service engineer expert whatever you want want to be it all comes from you not that's something that's sort of taught so the idea of wanting to help people and going the extra step for them i believe that's something that's within a person and not something that maybe can be taught do you agree or have you had different experiences to that well there's no doubt that some of this can be taught but there is definitely a natural tendency for different personalities specifically the one that you're referring to the one that wants to be the pleaser they tend to rise to the top. I mean, and by the way, before I get into that, I want to just say that just because somebody wants to please another person, you still have to train them on the technical side of whatever it is you're asking them to do. Example, one of my clients, they have a huge, huge worldwide support center, multiple locations, thousands and thousands of people do their customer support. And when I, we are talking about how do you hire good people, he said, I love to hire people that used to work in the hospitality industry because they get how to handle people. They know what it's like to have what I term a hospitality mentality where you want to take care of people, please them as if they're a guest in your home, they're a guest in your restaurant, they're a guest in a hotel. So he said that. I go, well, that's brilliant thinking, which leads me to the point that there are people out there that love and uh, to do this. They love to take care of people. And then you can narrow those people down to there are people out there that love the chaos of dealing with a complaint or an irate customer because they love the challenge of turning them around. There are other people out there that can't stand that. They burn out. If they have to talk to people over and over again who are constantly complaining and yelling, they burn out. But there's always a group of people in any type of business, in any type of responsibility that loves that type of work. And a good support center or a good customer service rep you know, you'll find these people that thrive on that type of responsibility. And I urge anybody listening, if you're hiring people, to put them through behavioral style assessments where you learn their personality, their behavior styles, and what they're going to be best at. Because if you try to take an introvert and who doesn't like to talk with people and put them into a customer service frontline situation, they're going to eventually quit. They're going to go crazy. They're going to explode. <laughs> it's Who knows what's <laughs> going to happen, but but it's not going to work out for them and it's not going to work out for you who hired them. You brought up you brought up hiring now, so this is a good point. What are the kind of questions you'd expect someone to ask when they're, when they're hiring a new support engineer? Is there anything in particular, particular question that you might sort of... Yeah, I, let's talk about whether that. He's good enough? So I'm not a hiring expert, but in one of my books... The Amazement Revolution, one of the seven strategies that we covered was the hiring right principle. And there's some great companies that know how to do it. Let me give you an example. Uh, there's a grocery store chain here in the U.S. called Hy-Vee. They're a pretty large chain. They're, they're uh, pretty well recognized as a top leader in this, this industry. And when they are hiring somebody, they ask the applicant to come early and walk around the store and note and observe things. And then in the interview, they say, so what did you see that you didn't like or that you loved or maybe a change that we can make? And what you're doing is you're now check, you know, that's a great way. If you have the opportunity to hire somebody on site, well, that's an awesome, you know, for that type of job, that's an awesome way of, you know, getting idea of how they think. Nordstrom has a single question that I think does a great job of, of summarizing everything. And that is, what's your definition of customer service? They ask that of every applicant. There's hundreds of right answers. There's probably a few wrong answers. And if they get the wrong answer, it pretty much lets you know that this person doesn't get what customer service is. 
So if I ask any of the applicants who come to work for me, hey, what's your definition of customer service? I don't think anybody has ever given the same definition, but guess what? Pretty much all of them have been the right answers. So at least I know they're in the right direction. And so that's an important question. Another great question, and this comes from my friend Mel Kleiman, who is a hiring expert. And this is also out of the book. He says, every industry, every type of business has a question that allows you to be very specific to let the person who's hiring know how serious the applicant is. Give you an example. I do some work in the cosmetology, beautician, you know, a hair salon industry. And if you're going to hire a stylist, one of the questions you might ask the stylist is, what brand is your scissors and how much did you pay for them? Because you can buy scissors that are $50. You can buy scissors that are $500. And if somebody says, oh, uh, these are scissors. I got a great deal on them. They were $55. Well, you know that person is not super like excited or super, I guess, focused on their their job and on their responsibility. Yet if the other person says, oh, I take a lot of great pride in my work. I only want the very best. So I found these shears. They're about $400. And this is what I use. You see what I'm saying? You ask the right question specific to the industry. So three points here. The one I just made, ask the right question specific to the industry that gives you an idea of how serious they are about what they do. Find out if they're capable of of interpreting, you know, is this a good environment? Is this uh, how observant am I of my customer service, you know, awareness around me? What would I recommend? That was what hy V did and what Nordstrom did at a very general level, but a very powerful level is what's the definition of customer service? That's good. It's good to hear because actually we did something similar. So we, we hired new support engineers uh, just this month. And one of the questions we asked, one of the things we did in the beginning once they submit the application, they go through uh, our plugin and they would use it. And in the first video interview we do, we ask them what they like about it, what they dislike about it, what they would change. Exactly. So basically applying it to your own industry and seeing what works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get an idea of their mindset of what they might know. You know. And by the way, there are other people that you can hire that you know they've got a great personality. They've got a great background. They've never worked in your industry. That could be a good thing, too, because you can mold them to what you want. But I think that if you're going to go after the experience, you know, those are good questions and, and good good ideas. And what you did is a perfect example of that. And actually, what it taught me as well was that certain individuals are too positive in their reply. They don't have any negative feedback about your product or right. your website or anything. And that scares me a bit, saying no negative anything. Basically, it scares me you to have say to how realistic they are. Exactly. All right. So moving on a little in your, basically I went through your online content, through your blog posts, your videos. I've been going through those in the past few weeks and past few months. And I'll link them in the show notes as well. You speak about uh, large companies like Amazon and how they've succeeded in providing top-notch customer service. Now, since most of the companies in the WordPress space are usually small teams with probably limited resources, both in manpower and finances and everything, what are the biggest differences between the two and the way customer service should be run? Wow. Well, first of all, in a large company, on a large scale, it's very difficult to provide consistent, predictable customer service. But in a small business, it's easier. So I believe that a small business has the advantage over a big business when it comes to scaling service because you're scaling it at such a small level. I was doing a program on how to build a customer-focused culture. And 
I called it. I said, here's my six simple steps. And some guy raises his hand and says, you keep saying these are six simple steps. And I go, well, they are. He goes, well, how long is it going to take for my company to implement these? And I said, well, how many people do you have? He said, 35,000 people. I said, four to six years. When would you like to sign up? <laughs> I'm here to help. <laughs> and, and we laughed. He goes, but you said it was simple. I said, it is simple. It's not easy. There's a big difference. And I think the smaller companies have a tremendous advantage. Now, a company like Amazon, from the very get-go, they reinvested a lot of their money into the customer experience, into the innovative ideas that create a better experience for their customers. Most companies aren't willing to spend the kind of money and, and take their margins down to where they're thin, so thin that they end up making it up on volume when they create this following that Amazon has. So I think I'm getting to the point of your question. On a smaller business, I don't think it's expected that you're going to be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can post, you know, I know my business, you know, we're a small uh, consulting and speaking type of company. You know, we go out the world and, and speak, uh, you know, at, at keynote, you know, I'm a keynote speaker and I have trainers that del deliver my training. But, you know, I don't think people expect at midnight they're going to get a response back from one of us because that's not the kind of business we're in. The one thing I will say that's important is invest in making yourself easy to do business with. So, you know, you have a WordPress site. If you have a shopping cart, make sure it's so easy. Make, eliminate any friction. Make it as few steps as possible to get to somebody who wants to buy something. Make it easy to find your information, your contact info. All of these things go toward a more convenient and easy experience. And at the end of the day, customers are really today, they're not just looking for a great service where I get to talk to knowledgeable and helpful people. That's a given. They're looking for an ease of doing business, an ease of service. Right. So this comes to sort of, you try to help them out before they actually get the support. So you try to limit the amount of people who would need that one-to-one -one attention. So both in actually completing a purchase or in providing good documentation. So you try to give them enough resources to fix things right. and get to the end of things on their own. And today, more than ever, there's a huge generation that's coming in. And, you, you know, I'm not I'm not picking on millennials, but it's it's that they grew up with technology that baby boomers on the other end. And in between, there's Gen Y and X and all that. But, you know, baby boomers didn't grow up with this technology. So the first thing that a baby boomer will do is pick up the phone and try and make the call, typically, where uh, some younger person who's been involved with technology their whole lives, they're used to just going to the website and looking for a video on how to do it or looking for a frequently asked question. They're looking for a self-service solution. That's their first go-to method. So I think you ha at this point in the game, you got to cover both sides. Uh, I'm very disappointed with a company that doesn't give phone support. Uh, I'm disappointed with a company that has to create a service ticket that takes two or three days sometimes for someone to get back to them. So, uh, But the best companies will have self-service options that get customers the answers they need almost instantly. All right. You mentioned phone support. So would you expect, let's say for yourself as a customer of, let's say, one of our plugins, considering we're a small team, we're basically five individuals with developers and support and, and management all included, would you expect a team like that to have phone support or would you be satisfied with, let's say, email replies within 12, 24 hours, for example? 
Well, hey, at 12 to 24 hours of email response, if I want my question answered in 24 hours, I'll wait 24 hours to answer, ask the question. Okay. I, I'm an instant gratification kind of a guy. There are people that are more tolerant than I am. Matter of fact, I bet many of them, if not most of them are, but I don't know if they're going to be tolerant of waiting a full day to get an answer back. If they can't do something, if their site is down, if they're, if they're having a problem, they want the answer now. Now, maybe there's some self-serve solutions that you have. Maybe chat is a great way where you can hold two or three conversations at one time while you're dealing with customers. I think that there should be a fallback for the phone because at some point you're going to have a customer that you need to talk to somebody to get them through it. Jeff Bezos over at Amazon, since we were talking about Amazon earlier, in the early stages of Amazon, when it came to customer support, there was no phone number. And he said, let's be so good that they don't have to call us. And that works until somebody has a problem and feels they need to call you. And the problem may not even be an Amazon problem. Amazon shipped me my product. Everything was fine. It got to, it got picked up by FedEx, UPS, the post office, whoever. And that's where it got lost. Didn't get lost at Amazon. But to the customer who didn't receive their package, it's Amazon's fault. Even Amazon at that point realized, you know what? We may need to give people access to us. Uh, there is a phone number. It's not always easy to find. If you know, if you look in the customer support and customer service area, you will eventually find the phone number, but they're showing you other resources before you get there. All right. So I guess for us, it would be, uh, well, for us, for anyone with a smaller, medium-sized business, it's about finding the right limits of how far you should go with each customer. It's a balance. So number one line of of great support is make sure you have a good self-service option and you know that would be frequently asked questions it would be how-to videos um there's some great ways of creating videos you know uh one of the things i love about salesforce they're a big company i know but if you uh you don't have to call salesforce to get to get support just go on youtube and type in your question and guess what they have i don't know i i don't know how many hundreds of them thousands, maybe at least a thousand of these great, well-produced videos on how to answer the questions that these people have. Yeah. And that's something we learned ourselves. So in the beginning, we didn't have an extensive documentation or tutorial videos or anything. So something we learned, I think that a lot of people should apply and other people are applying now is the idea of creating tutorials, be it videos or written blog posts, whatever it is, even if they come to support, at least you can send them to a tutorial rather than have to explain everything step-by-step step, either through email or chat. Right. All right. So uh, I watched another video where you mentioned that a customer being satisfied is not enough. Correct. In fact, you, you use the word, actually you called the word fine, the F-bomb of customer service. Yep. And by the way, when people say, how is everything? It's fine. Fine is like maybe satisfactory at best. And I, I, call, I jokingly call it the F-bomb of customer service. And if fine was an acronym, where every letter stood for another word, F would be fake smile. Uh, I would be um, insincere feedback. N is never coming back. And E is emotionless. You made no connection with me. There's no loyalty here. That's what fine is. So you've got excellent, good, fair, uh, average, and you could throw fine and average or anything less than that, which would be fair or poor. Uh, so fine is a dangerous place to be. Satisfactory is a dangerous place to be. Most companies operate at a level of trying to satisfy their customers. And to me, satisfactory is a rating, and it's a rating that's in the middle. As I mentioned, excellent, good, satisfactory, fair, poor. 
Satisfactory is average. And the, the way to overcome that is to just be a little bit better. You don't have to be over the top. But you know, if you are a little bit better all of the time, you'll get rated excellent. And it's just a little bit better than average. The key is just a little bit better all the time, predictably and consistently better than average. All right. And what, what kind of examples could you bring to us with regards to being a little bit better? Sure. Let's say, let's say it's email. Macy's, uh, here in the U.S., Macy's Department Store and Nordstrom Department Store. You go into Macy's, big selection, huge amounts of merchandise. Uh, I would say almost crowded aisles. I mean, the, the, the merchandise is really close together. Not so many people to help you out, okay? And the, yet the experience is good value, good clothing, nice people. And then you go over to Nordstrom. You know, and their world-class customer service is just the fact that there's more people there and they're knowledgeable people and uh, you have a different feeling and it's not over the top, blow me away. Now, what Nordstrom does have is an amazing return policy that really is sets the standard for all the others in that type of retail industry and, and clothing and that type of thing. But other than that, and, and I think about my experiences at Nordstrom, they're always just Pleasant people that are very knowledgeable. And here's the words I'm going to use. They're always helpful. They're always knowledgeable. They are always there to take care of me. I can always find somebody that I like or that is willing to help me. And even if there's a problem, I know I can always count on them. The word always followed by something positive tells you that you are consistent in your service offering. Uh, and, and if you operate at that level where you're a little better than average all the time, you're actually operating at the amazement level. Think about Ace Hardware. I wrote about them in one of my books. I actually used them as a main case study in the book, Amaze Every Customer Every Time. Ace Hardware, they have about 4,700 hardware stores around the world, and they are primarily owned by you know smaller, like maybe somebody might have, most of them have one store, the owners, sometimes they have two or three, a few have more than that, but they're, they're, they're smaller businesses. They've been around for years and years, and all of a sudden, these big box stores start popping up. Home Depot, Lowe's, Menards, all those are here. And Sam's from you know uh, Walmart. Uh, these are large box stores that can compete directly with this small little retailer. So how does that retailer stand out and is above these big box stores? How do they survive? They do it with a great level of service. Not just friendly service, but helpful and knowledgeable service. That's why their tagline is Ace is the helpful hardware place, the helpful hardware place. Three words. They want to be the most helpful retailer on the planet. And that's how they succeed. People go to them when they have questions and they get support that way. And I think that's the way to separate yourself. If you do a good enough job delivering a quality and value experience, your price becomes less relevant. And that's what these companies that are competing against online retailers and big box stores have to do. They have to show that the experience is worth maybe paying a little bit more for. And you know what? It's proven over and over again that it works. Absolutely. Definitely agree. So actually, there's something related to this. You mentioned the story in one of your videos. I believe it was with your kids, uh, the McDonald's story. Yes. Would you mind sharing that with the listeners? Sure. I love that story. I used to ask my kids where they want to go for breakfast when they were little, nine-year-old, six-year-old, and four-year-old, my nine-year-old boy, uh, and the two were girls. And they always said McDonald's. And one day we walked in and the woman behind the counter welcomed us like, hey, good morning, kids. Great to see you coming up here. And then she told them 
what they were going to order for breakfast. And they were very surprised that she would know. Now, the funny thing is, is she was there the week before and she recognized us. The week before, it was her first day working at McDonald's when we were there. And we were the first customers that she was able to take care of without a supervisor. And she really did remember us. And what's cool is that when we sat down, we're talking about it. My daughter says, Dad, the people at this McDonald's, they are so friendly. And she was just relating the experience to me that she felt that she had when we ordered her food from this really nice person. And she was not quite right. What she said was the people at this McDonald's. And really what she should have said was that person at this McDonald's. But no, the and I call this the awesome responsibility because most people, when they do business with someone, a person will walk away from that business and say, I like doing business with them. That's plural. And that also not only represents all of the employees, it also represents the brand. So at any given time, one person represents everybody there as well as the entire brand. And that is what I refer to as the awesome responsibility. And everybody needs to know that they have that responsibility and needs to, you know, really step up and deliver. So that even stresses the point that training each individual you hire is one of the most important parts to get started. Because if one person is not up to scratch, then that can bring you down. Right. So it, people always say, you know, gosh, I, they're, they're part-time people. I really can't afford to hire them. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Or I can't afford to train them. Excuse me. Are you kidding me? You have to train them because you can have a hundred people working for your company and 99 of them are rock stars, but one person who you don't train properly, that's the customer who gets that person is going to think, boy, the entire company is like that. And let me just emphasize when it comes to training, it's not just hiring and then training them when they come to work for you. It's especially as it applies to customer service, it's ongoing training and ongoing reinforcement of how to deliver a positive, great experience because uh, you've got to constantly remind people and keep them on the game. Think about the greatest athletes in the world still have coaches working with them day in and day out to make sure they do the fundamentals well. Same thing in business. But we need to constantly reinforce the training. We don't need to send people back to training for two weeks every month. No, but you can spend five to seven minutes, one, two, three times a week, reinforcing what good customer service looks like and how anybody in the company can deliver it. And this is, I think, where sort of resources like Help Scouts blog and their Help You right. platform, these are invaluable to businesses like ours or small businesses where we don't have probably the time or the resources to set all that up ourselves. I think those are invaluable to us to train our support engineers and to grow their skill set as well. Right. All right. So you also mentioned that one of the most important statistics that any business owner should look at is whether the customer comes back or not. Correct. Uh, this so is, I, yeah, this is a big one. Everybody measures like customer satisfaction. There's that word satisfaction again. They even have the CSAT you know, type of survey. And then there's NPS, the net promoter score. And I love all of these. I think they're very, very important to get feedback that's specific to how well we did, okay? But how well we did does not measure whether or not the customer truly comes back. Maybe there's intention of coming back because they gave us a great rating and they're willing to recommend us and they say they'll be back. But do they really come back? And I think that's the number that really matters is whether or not the customer comes back back. Measure repeat business. That is going to give you a huge indicator as to whether or not you're truly delivering. You know, NPS, net promoter score, zero to 10. 
on a scale of zero to 10, what's the likelihood that you'd recommend us? Well, that says we love you or we don't love you or we don't care about you. But it says, you know, we like you enough to recommend you. Somebody gives us a nine or a 10, they're willing to promote us. But that does not measure whether or not they're coming back. This follows up. So you also mentioned about customer loyalty, not necessarily meaning the lifetime value of a customer. Right. It's about the next time. And that goes to, you know, what we're just talking about a moment ago. Everybody is looking at loyalty as the lifetime. Gosh, we need loyal customers. Loyal. We want to make, you want, want loyal customers? Make sure they come back next time. How do you do that? Ask yourself what I call the loyalty question. And that is, what am I doing right now to make sure the next time the customer needs whatever it is that I do, that they'll come back to me? And that's the next time. And if you do that and focus on that every time, it does eventually could become a lifetime. But, you know, I know that there might be a restaurant. There's a great Italian restaurant down the road. And, and my friend, we talk about this. He goes, you know, you keep talking about, you know, this loyalty thing. He says, to me, the most loyal customer, every time they want to go out and eat, would come to my restaurant. I go, no, you need to think about it in even narrower terms than that. Every time somebody wants to go out and eat, reasonably priced Italian food, they would always come to you. If they want a fancy meal with white linen and, you know, waiters and servers and, and tuxedos and, you know, fancy dresses, then they will go to that restaurant. If they want to get Greek food, they're not coming to the Italian restaurant. But if they want Italian food, what are you doing? You know, at a reasonable price, what are you doing at this experience that the customer's having to make sure that the next time they want basically what you sell, you'll, they'll come back to you. So focus on the next time, every time, and it could become a lifetime. Very good. So I want to move on a bit to the actual experience from start to finish for any customer who's going to contact you. So how would you handle a first impression when your support is limited to email or live chat, basically when you can't speak to a person one-on-one -on -one through phone or video? How would you do that through emails, live chats to make sure that first impression really grabs the customer? Sure. So I would say the one word that comes to mind is personalization. Personalize the email. Personalize the chat. Well, hello, Shep. Hey, welcome back. I see you've, you've talked to us before or you called in with the problem before. It was about this. Is that what this is about today? Okay. What you're doing is you're getting right away, you're engaging them with a personalized experience. That's actually came up for us recently. So we had customers who would contact us many months back. And when they contact us again, we might have missed checking their history or anything like that. And the fact that we don't bring up a previous experience that they had sometimes angers the customer. It might either be the same issue being repeating itself, but they would actually realize that you're not you're speaking to them as a new customer right, rather than as right. a, someone you're following up with. And it frustrates me as a customer when I'm treated as a new customer, when I've called in a number of times or I've done business with somebody mm -hmm. for a long period of time. I don't want to be treated like a new customer. I want to be treated like the customer I deserve to be treated with. with you know, I've given you some loyalty. Give some of it back to me in the form of how you handle me and how you take care of me. Absolutely. And we've had customers who come back and then get to know us by name. So even if you know, we're a small team, we're two or three answering support. They actually ask for a particular individual. They say, hey, Mark, how have you, how have you been? How's this and how's that? And I say, listen, can you help us out with another problem here? I think that personalization and that one-to-one -one communication can help build up a relationship. Right. 
that's how it works. And uh, it's the personalized experience engages a customer. They feel connected. And when you do that, it's like there's an old TV show, Cheers, uh, where mm -hmm. the theme song was, you want to always go to a place where everybody knows your name, makes people feel connected. Beyond the first question, once you resolve someone's problem, we focus on getting positive reviews once we've managed to fix someone's problems. So we have basically saved replies with a help scout, depending on the situation, we use particular ones to ask for a review. And it has resulted in over 200 five-star reviews in the past couple of years, I think, which was a big step up for us. Yep. And basically there was one-star reviews here and there. But apart from asking for a review, what other steps can you take once you've resolved the question to help grow your business, grow your relationship with the customer, whatever it may be? I mean, obviously reviews are, are pretty powerful and I think they, they are, are credibility, but you want to be so good that people talk about you. And it depends the type of business you're in, but let's take the NPS score, for example. And that's that, what, you know, Fred Reichelt termed the ultimate question. On a scale of zero to 10, what's the likelihood that you would recommend us? If you give me a nine or a 10, that means you're willing to recommend me. Well, certain type of businesses could say, okay, can you tell me who those people would be that you'd recommend me to? <laughs> and ask them, <laughs> what a great follow-up question. Imagine when they go, wow. Well, you should call my friend Bob or my colleague, you know, Susan, and uh, they could use your services. And all of a sudden, you turn that that uh, customer satisfaction survey into something that drives more business. Uh, the other thing is, if you're going to do a survey, and I, I don't want to get away from your question. So if I veer off, because I tend to do that sometimes, let me know, <laughs> we'll get back on track. But if you're going to ask somebody, you know, a, a survey question and uh, one of my favorite questions is if somebody gives me a great, you know, great score, I go, fantastic. Is there one thing you can think of that would make doing business with us even better? You've already given us a great score. What would make it even better? And you'd be surprised what you get now. If you get one crazy person saying one thing and they're the only person that says it, it may be worth looking at. But what you're really looking for is a trend of, a number of customers saying, you know what would make it better this? And if you hear enough people telling you something you're not doing, but you could do to make a great experience even greater, you've got an opportunity to improve on greatness. Obviously, if you're getting a mediocre score, you don't want to say, okay, on a scale of one to 10 or zero to 10, if you give me a five, what would it take to get a 10? Who cares? I want to know what would it take? I mean, I do care, but what would it take for me to go from a five to a six or five to a seven? What little Thing could I do to bump me up a notch? And once we get there, I want to bump it up another notch. And so I'll learn quite a bit by asking for small little steps to make the experience better. Does that give you the answer that you want? I want to make sure I answered your question. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so basically, in our case, since we're smaller businesses and uh, it's all done via email, I think it's important to follow up besides asking for a review. Recommendations is good. So saying, whether they recommend this to someone else. Obviously, it then depends on what kind of customer it is. So if it's someone using it for their own site, you have to treat them in a certain way. If it's someone who runs an agency and is building client sites with it, then you need to treat them differently. So we actually have an integration right now between our plugin, which is a content import plugin, and a service that is being developed called Mondo Player, which is basically sort of like a search engine for videos across the web. Uh -huh. So something... That's been important there is good communication between us too. 
more so than with an individual customer. So you go into a bit more detail since this is going to affect not just one customer, but an entire customer base of thousands of people from someone else. Right. All right. Now, this is something that came up actually this morning while we were handling support. It's how to handle an angry customer. So this morning we had a situation where basically customer emailed us with a problem. We replied back with a question, a follow-up question. She replied with some details and we asked for some more follow-up and asked her to test out something. Basically, this customer ended up taking that follow-up question as a repeat of the first one and she got frustrated very quickly. Now, in most cases, it doesn't happen. But when it does happen, what can you do to bring that customer back on your side? All right. So first of all, you're dealing with the email with a complaint. It's one thing to give customer support via email, answer a question. It's another thing to deal with an angry customer via email. And the first thing I want to say about email, because when you're doing chat, you're going back and forth, back and forth. It's a conversation happening in real time. In email, I may send you an email. Like you said, it could take 12 to 24 hours to get it back. And if I if I happen to be sitting at my computer when it comes in, I don't know if you're going to respond right away when I send it back. But what if I don't get that email for four or five hours? How long do I have to wait before the next one? You're allowing this complainer to get angrier and angrier and more and more frustrated that it's taking longer and longer to get their question answered. Email may be, with the exception of a quick response and a how-to where I can point you to the right solution or give you a quick explanation, it may be the worst form of customer support short of the support ticket that may take two or three days to get get taken care of. Mm -hmm. Customers, when they have a problem, they want their problem dealt with. If they're angry, wow, you need to deal with that right away. So I'm going to tell you, I have a five-step process and the fifth step is what we're talking about here. But let me go through them very quickly. Number one, acknowledge that there's a problem. I understand why you're upset. I would be upset if that happened to me too. You could say whatever you want, but just acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. Number two, apologize for it. And you can flip one and two, it doesn't matter. Number three, fix what needs to be fixed or discuss what the resolution is going to be. Number four, act with accountability. That's an attitude of ownership where I'm really glad you told me, hey, the buck stops here. I'm the person that's going to take care of you. That's going to make a person feel, feel really good. And number five, act with urgency. It's hard to act with urgency when you're going back and forth over three weeks with emails. And by the way, if you look at the stats and facts, for some companies, the average resolving time, the, the time to resolve the issue is 10 to 14 days using email. And with instant chat, it could be 10 to 14 minutes. It's better to invest in resources to be able to offer live chat rather than invest in email. Yeah, right? and, and I like live chat. And if you have the ability to do a chat bot for the basic, fundamental, easy, I want to change my mailing address kind of things, great. And just make sure that bot system is set up to transfer to a live person when the bot recognizes, not answering this person's question, it, it can tell. That's actually what I was to bring up next. So basically the tools, the best tools to use to provide customer, customer service. So chatbots are something that, as you mentioned earlier, brought up with uh, Nick Francis with, yep. with Help Scout. It's something we've been considering ourselves as well. That's then my problem, the limit of how far a chatbot can go. I agree. So is it worth having a chatbot when you don't necessarily have the resources to have someone available as a backup all the time? 
Well, that's been our, our dilemma right now. Right. So the chatbot can right away say, hey, uh, it's two o'clock in the morning. And the chatbot responds, hey, thanks for, you know, thanks for your question. If it's able to answer the basic questions, great. But it should recognize categories of questions. It should be able to send somebody to a self-serve solution. And it should also tell that customer, our normal hours are from eight in the morning until six o'clock in the evening. Someone's always here. So if you don't have your question answered, click here, fill out this form, and somebody's going to get back to you first thing in the morning. There you go. That's one way of dealing with it. But uh, the chat bot can be your a sophisticated version of what we used to call, uh, well, I guess you still call it uh, an answering machine or voicemail. You know, you call, you leave a message. But what if call and rather than just leave a message, before you leave the message, I just want to make sure maybe I can help you or tell you where to go or, you know, answer a simple question. That's what a chatbot can do. By the way, chatbots today are very inexpensive. You can develop one with some of these great companies. Gosh, there's a couple that come to mind, but I don't need to mention any of their names. That's not what this is about. But you could probably, for under $1,000, get the thing set up and then pay a minimal monthly fee to maintain it. And I think it's a great way to go for the most basic basic questions, and especially on the weekends and in the evenings when you might not be there. It might be a good way to give somebody a quick answer. And if nothing else, let them know somebody's going to get back to them first thing the next day or, or Monday morning. And even if it's a thousand dollar investment, it pays itself off over time. When you see the amount of pre-sales questions that come in and simple questions, they take a lot of your time. Yeah, what's it going to cost? I mean, what what's it cost to lose the customer that you had before? Exactly, and it's not just one; it's one after another after right. another. All right. So apart from uh, chatbots, you mentioned live chat and email. What are your thoughts on? Well, we mentioned phone calls. What are your thoughts on social media or forums, public forums, where customers can answer each other's each other's questions? Well, that's a very popular form of support that's becoming more and more popular. Now, let's talk about what what social media has done. Number one, some companies embrace the concept and encourage you, hey, go on Twitter and just tweet out what your question is and you know put our, our name in there and we'll make sure we give you an answer because they love the idea of showing that they're going to respond quickly and give a good answer. Sometimes the companies uh, immediately take the question to a direct message format. So Twitter has DM, Facebook has DM, but social customer care is social. That means it's it's available for everybody to see. So if somebody posts something, you need to respond. And by the way, don't just respond to the negative comments, respond to positive things as well. And let me go uh, and share one other thought is that sometimes if you have other channels that they can reach you via phone, chat, whatever, if you don't give them the answer or don't respond quickly, sometimes social media is their backup, not their primary. When it's the backup, it means they're there because they're not happy. Keep that in mind. So again, social, social, uh, it means people are watching. My friend Jay Bear says social media customer care is a spectator sport because everybody gets to watch how well you handle the complaint, the problem, the comment. And uh, that's that's what I just I would embrace it. Choose the you know which channels do you want to be on? Well, which channels are your customers on? And obviously the main ones are Twitter and Facebook. And if you're in any kind of an industry where there might be a Yelp review or TripAdvisor review, 
uh, that would be, you know, you'd be monitoring those channels. And there's all kinds of very inexpensive software that will allow you to monitor every time your name is brought up in any social setting whatsoever. Absolutely. You brought up this point now. When it comes to deciding which medium to use, what factors should determine that? Or how can you get to know what your customers are mostly on? Would something like a questionnaire to at the end of a, an email ticket, for example, be a good idea? You know, I think all you got to do is observe. And like I say, there's plenty of software out there that's going to tell you uh, when your name is brought up and just take a look and see where what channels your customers are hanging out on and commenting on and, and reaching out to you on. That's the easiest way. Now, uh, I think what you can do is you can guide customers. For example, I consider YouTube part of uh, social customer care, even though that's not you can leave comments and have some back and forth there. But overall, YouTube is set it and forget it. But if you point your customers to that, you train them to go to YouTube. Again, I, I use Salesforce as, as an example. I'll never forget the first time I called customer support for Salesforce. The person was so nice and helped me out and then said, by the way, if you want a really quick answer, a lot of times it's easiest just to go on YouTube and type in the question. You know, how do I add a record on Salesforce? How do I add custom fields on Salesforce? And guess what? There's plenty of video tutorials that are out there. And I love it when it's a video because it's like I have somebody teaching me. Uh, there's, there's an example I like to use. There's a ping pong table that I bought for my daughter, German ping pong table. I didn't know it was a German ping pong table. I, I guess I could have looked at the name and realized that, but it didn't matter. I was just buying. I was at the store and I go, oh, this looks like a great ping pong table. I'll order it. So we ordered it. It shows up and I open up. The instructions are in German. Now, that didn't bother me too much because it was mostly pictures that I had to look at with all. The, and by the way, a German ping pong table probably has more screws and nuts and bolts than the average. <laughs> it's just because they're very precision and it's very engineered. The German way. Yeah, very, very well. It's the German way, which is great. That's maybe why I like the ping pong table. It seemed like it was such high quality. But I couldn't figure this out. There was a problem. So what did I do? I went on Google and I just simply typed in the model number and the name of the manufacturer. And up came a YouTube video. And that YouTube video was all done to music. And it it showed the guy opening the box, showing the parts, each individual part, putting the ping pong table together. How cool is that? It was like I had this person right there with me, helping me put it together. Hmm. So in that case, would you prefer having a YouTube video? You mentioned the music. Would you prefer following it like that or following it with someone explaining a tutorial? Well, sort of? in this particular case, it was a German ping pong table. And uh, they, if they wanted to give it to me in, in Amer you know, English language, that's fine. But they had nice German music. I jokingly say, and the guy putting it together was wearing Lederhosen. But he wasn't. He wasn't. But, <laughs> but it, it didn't need to be done. There was not a, it was not a need for words. It was just simply show me. That may be the case. Other other times you need to have that you know tutorial and a narrative to go with it. All right, so uh, we'll move on to the last question I want to bring up. This is related to the actual human beings behind support. So we talk about how to provide support and what we should do and all this, but I think it's important as well to consider the individuals who are taking care of it. So it's your support engineers, it's your people you have on live chat and everything. How can we, as business owners, take care of those individuals on a personal level? Because we know how stressful support can get. Yep, yep. 
So what are your what are your recommendations there? Right. Well, number one, you're hiring the right people. We talked about that already. You're hiring people that thrive sometimes on this type of interaction where they love to solve problems. They love to take complaints and make people happy with them. So that's number one. But I will say that probably the most important thing that a leader can do is to treat the employee with the same respect and dignity that you would want the customer treated as. Absolutely. And I think, I believe you had mentioned this in one of your videos as well. It's the organizational chart of a business, the triangular chart, and how we should flip that around. Right. So that wasn't my idea. That was Jan Carlson. Mm -hmm. I first read that in Jan Carlson. Everybody says the CEOs at the top and down is the next level of management. And all the way at the bottom, you have the front line of that pyramid. And then there's your customer. And Jan Carlson said, let's just flip that over. And even though you're going to have the CEO at the point, the point now is the bottom. At the top, the most important people that are in our organization are our customers. And then you have the people dealing with the customers, taking good care of them. So that's that's the idea you know, behind that. Yeah, that makes absolute sense because even if your CEO is not there and your developers aren't working, let's say for software, and you have your customer support working, if it's an established product, it's still going to do well. As right. long as it's being supported, it's still going to run itself. Right. All right. Is there anything else that you would like to mention to our listeners? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I've got book, I've got six books I've written on this topic. <laughs> there's a lot that we could talk about. And, you know, probably there's about 15 to 20% of redundancy between the books because, and we've covered some of that. We covered the predictable and consistency uh, above average. But if you're interested in learning more about what we do, just go to hiking.com and you can watch my video. If you go to our YouTube channel, just look me up by my name, Shep Hyken. But the easiest way is just go to sheptv.com. That URL, sheptv.com, will take you straight to my channel, which has over 600 videos, little lessons that you can learn. Uh, subscribe to the channel, subscribe to my newsletter, and uh, I promise you, you'll get great customer service content delivered to your in-mail every single week. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll be using it ourselves, and I'll make sure I put it in the show notes so everyone can follow as well. Uh, Shep, thank you very much for joining us. It's My been a pleasure. pleasure to talk to My you. My pleasure. Great questions. Great interview. Lots of information. I hope everybody got something out of this. Likewise. Thank you very much, Shep. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.